This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. It is Friday, it's the 19th of January 2024, and coming up today, we are rounding up the week. Yes, Friday, the Express today. Part, part. You're listening to Double Tap Express. Your weekly roundup of what's happening on Double Tap this week. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Yeah, the Express rolls into town. I was waiting for it. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) On a Friday. I'm all confused. It's not not Park Park Day, Stephen Scott. What's going on? Ah, well, you see some changes here at old Double Tap Towers. Breaking news. Breaking news. And if you want to blame anybody. Mr. All God bless too. you, Mr. F. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the Express is now on a Friday. We are now uh, bringing you Double Tap five days a week. Now, hang on. Before you start writing in and complaining or or celebrating in the streets, whichever choice <laughs> you uh, choose, um, yeah, we've, we've decided to make a little change here at Double Tap because, uh, look, we're going to be appearing on that there YouTube, the internet, the uh, the place to be. Um, mm. I say all this uh, as I read this morning that Marquez Brownlee, well-known YouTuber, has apparently made the decision to, or is considering leaving YouTube. So, <laughs> Really? He must have heard we're coming on. He thought, I can't compete with that. Not with the boys, no. He's decided, yeah, he cannot compete with Double Tap, so he's (laughs) taking his channel to, I don't know, X or something. I don't know what he's doing. I love Marquez. So do I. I don't know why he's leaving, though. I don't know if he is leaving yet. He's considering. That was the the video. It was like a considering leaving. Maybe it's one of those, please subscribe to my channel. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you should try that. We'll do it in the first couple of weeks, right? We'll just sort of say we're leaving and see if anyone notices. (laughs) They would definitely call our bluff on that. (laughs) Okay, bye. Yeah, probably. So, look, as a result of that, uh, Mr. F and I had a nice long chat about it, and uh, we've come to the conclusion that, you know, with extra content coming on YouTube, which will be starting uh, hopefully at the end of the month, um, then we thought we'd maybe shrink it back a little bit and uh, have five days on air here with you. And uh, that would involve four days of regular shows, and then on the Friday we have the Express show. So uh, you you get tomorrow off. Hooray! Yes, fantastic. But it does mean I've got to clean my shed for YouTube. I'm not a fan of that, I must say. But uh, yeah, apparently there can be such a thing as too much Stephen and Sean. Who yeah, no, knew? Look, please do not worry. This is not a sign of, well, I hope this is not a sign of things to yeah, come. Please. Next week it's, welcome to Monday. Uh, you're only double tap <laughs> of the week. I, I hope that's not what's going on here. I don't think it is. And I certainly don't imagine that to be the case. But we decided because we're going to be doing all this extra content, you know, I, I think sometimes there can be too much of a good thing and you have to realise that. So uh, plus there's only so many hours in the day for us to produce content. So uh, we uh, want to produce good content. Um, I mean, you know, oh, to- another change. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a second. This is a breaking news. Breaking news. <laughs> New plan. Uh, but no, we, we want to give you lots of interesting conversations and topics and all of that. Uh, we don't want to spread ourselves too thin. And with YouTube as well, uh, you know, one of the things I'm quite excited about is the chance for us to delve into new and exciting topics that perhaps we just don't get the time to get to here on the show. Or sometimes the stories, stories come up all the time on you know our news feeds and i think i'd love to talk about that but we just don't get around to it on the show 
Yeah. So, you know, I thought maybe this is why we uh, maybe consider changing things up a little bit. So we'll see how it goes. But, you know, I'm always up for doing more. So you never know. Uh, we might be back six days a week. We might not. But either way, uh, Monday to Thursday, regular shows. Friday, your chance to wrap up. And I have to say, this does follow a lot of feedback from a lot of people who say, you know what? We love Double Tap. We love listening to it. It's just a bit too much. I can't keep up with it all. So too much. Well, yeah. that was the idea of the Express, right? It was to to look back at some of the stories we really liked, and also to look at some of the stories that we couldn't fit in during the week as well. Yeah, exactly. And that is what we do, and absolutely what we will continue to do. And of course, the good news is we start it all off with our very own Grace Scofield, who is with us on a Friday. Uh, I don't know if she's very happy about that, but she is here on a Friday with us <laughs> to read through the Double Tap News headlines. And uh, we are pleased to welcome her here on Friday's version of The Express, which, of course, is the, the new way forward. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, bring in Grace and uh, catch up with the news. Double Tap News with Grace Scofield. Thanks, guys. I'm Grace Scofield, and welcome to the first Double Tap News of 2024 on Friday, January 19th. We start with some big news from Samsung, who took the wraps off of their latest flagship smartphones at an event in San Jose this week. The new devices all feature something Samsung is calling Galaxy AI. They all look identical to last year's models with very slight variations. They include the S24, S24 Plus, and S24 Ultra. Here's Drew Blackard, VP of Product Management. The Galaxy S24 series is our most exciting, most innovative, and most intelligent one yet. It'll help you capture and create, take better notes, and enjoy better gameplay. With a range of gender-neutral colors inspired by nature, our Galaxy S24 series redefines durability and style. This series is a testament to resilience, sophistication, and Samsung's cutting-edge innovation. And... It contributes to our vision of a sustainable future. The S24 and S24 Plus have new colors, black, gray, violet, and yellow. They're squared off like an iPhone on the corners, the bezels are slightly thinner, and the screen sizes are 6.2 inches for the 24 and 6.7 for the Plus. Both also have slightly larger batteries. The S24 Ultra has minor changes as well. It's a little thinner, has titanium sides, the display is completely flat compared to the rounded edges of older models, and it's available in black, titanium, violet, and yellow. All colors have a matte finish. Software-wise, though, AI is the star of the show. New features include an AI keyboard that will make suggestions about your style and tone as you type. Notes will turn random scribbles into bullets and summaries. And voice notes get major enhancements thanks to AI as well. Here's Heejin Chung, Samsung Software R&D. I'm sure all of you have had that experience when you're in a group meeting or lecture and you wish someone could take notes for you. Having a tool that helps you recall who said what and provides a quick recap of lectures and conversations can be helpful to everyone including those who are hard of hearing. The native voice recorder app on our Galaxy devices has had speech-to-text available in different languages. Now, instead of creating a basic transcript, Galaxy AI can distinguish between different speaking voices and will even create a short and sweet summary of what was said. 
Thanks to Galaxy AI, the Photos app is a full-fledged editor. You can remove things from the background, adjust the background blur, and even select and move objects in a photo. Last but not least, one of the apps getting a new standout feature is the phone, using AI to offer real-time translation in both text and speech. Here's Samsung's VP of Product Management again, Drew Blackard. One of the most important and essential things we do every day is communicate with each other. It's how we express ideas and build relationships. But if we don't share the same language as someone, we can miss opportunities for connection. Like while traveling, language can be a barrier. For example, have you ever used a rideshare app while traveling abroad? You get a call from the driver, but you can't communicate because you don't speak their language. Simple situations can become complicated. We're thrilled to offer a solution by providing real-time voice translations while you're on a call. When you make or receive a call in a language you don't speak, the Galaxy S24 series can provide live translations of your call, both verbally and on screen, right away. Google made an appearance at Samsung's event as well, announcing a new feature that will be available not only to Samsung devices, but other Android devices. They call it Circle to Search. Here's Google's VP of Search, Kathy Edwards. I'm thrilled to unveil Circle to Search, a new way to search anything on your Android phone using a simple gesture without switching apps. Thanks to breakthroughs in Google AI, you can now circle, highlight, scribble, or tap whatever you're curious about on your screen to learn more. Today, if I see something I'm interested in, I'd have to take a screenshot and then leave the app to search it. And switching between different apps can be kind of inconvenient and take you out of your flow. But now, just long press the home button to invoke Circle to Search. And from there, you can select any item, like these sunglasses, to quickly uncover similar options and where to buy them. Without leaving where you are, you could also scribble the bag to see what that is. I've been really into this padded bag trend lately, so we'll definitely be checking these out. It's so amazing, right? While many are praising Samsung for their innovative use of AI, consumers are also asking themselves if there's any real reason to upgrade, considering the majority of AI features will come to last year's models, among others, too. Salih Kunduz from Accessible Android tells us his view from a blindness perspective. From my point of view, I don't really see that killing point to upgrade from my 23 to 24 because that has the same Android version that is 14. I already have it. That's the same uh, hardware almost. I mean, nearly from my phone. I also have it. But of course, if you want to get a much more affordable, like much more durable phone or much more good looking phone, the Ultra itself is a titanium frame. It's a really good one. But I mean, in terms of software, it's going to be the same Android, same Samsung, just need to, if you don't want to wait for AI, just go for it. But if you think you can, uh, you can stick with uh, 23 or your other flip or fold devices. 
Orbit Research are well known for their reader and writer range of braille displays, note takers, and input devices. However, a lot of attention has been on their elusive Orbit Speak audio-based note taker with braille input since it was announced in March 2022. The company says this new device will now ship in April of this year, with more details and pricing to follow. Their much-desired Optima Braille laptop that runs Windows is also being delayed. The company cited issues with its partner Access Mind due to the ongoing conflict in Israel, where Ali Kushner and his team are located. Ali will be joining Stephen and Sean soon on Double Tap to discuss this more at length. Developing story. One of the more popular specialist devices for blind people in 2023 was the Hable One, a simple Bluetooth keyboard for smartphones that uses six-dot Braille input and customized commands to control your smartphone even while it's in your pocket. The company has worked tirelessly with the blind community to make the product work as well as it does, and fans may be excited to learn that a second version is coming soon. Freak Van Welsenis is the co-founder of the company behind the hit product and reluctantly shared the information about the Hable 2 with Stephen and Sean on Double Tap recently. So I, uh, I'm known in my whole team and in the company right now for uh, spilling the beans too often uh, and saying things I shouldn't yet say on the... <laughs> on, uh, on Excellent. Like, uh, here. <laughs> um, so I, 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 won't, I won't say too much, but there's, there's quite <sighs> some things coming up. I actually... Uh, just Able mentioned two. a few things that we're working on, like personalization, and uh, but also there there will be a Hable too. I can say that much. I can't say when it will Ooh. be there, what it has, but it, it will be there. Um, and we're, I think this we're working year. on a lot of exciting things. Just again in making it simple and making it also <laughs> affordable. Uh, ask that I question I, I, again. I either didn't hear me, or he was ignoring me there. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear you. Sorry. This, is, is, is that this year that's coming? Please don't ask me these questions. Yes. <laughs> when exactly are we going to get the Hable 2? Utah State University's Web Accessibility in Mind is conducting its annual survey for screen reader users. This initiative aims to gather insights to enhance web content and standards for people with disabilities. WebAIM encourages participation from both novice and advanced screen reader users. The survey takes about 5 to 10 minutes and is available to participate in until January 31st. That's your Double Tap News this week. I'm Grace Scofield. Grace Scofield there with the headlines. Thank you so much, Grace. And that WebAIM survey is uh, definitely something you'll want to get signed. It's, it's funny, I, a number of years have gone by and I've often thought I must do that, but never really got around <laughs> to it. I think this year I want to because I feel I'm, I'm kind of more... Uh, it's more it's more of a credible thing for me to do this year you know it's like the past couple of years i feel like i've kind of been getting to know screen readers but this year i've been trying narrator <laughs> nvda jaws so yeah okay i can i can fill this in with confidence well there's so many times where you get to see a survey you think yeah oh, that's a good idea but you just don't do it but it, it is very important the web aim one in particular because those stats are used in other places you don't know it, what effect it could have so yeah i'm going to take the time and do that as well it always gives you an idea of, you know, not just the, the, the problems or the challenges we have with, uh, with screen readers, but it gives us, more importantly, I think, a sense of who's using what. And, you know, NVDA, JAWS, they often are the, the top when it comes to PC, obviously voiceover and Mac. But, you know, on the iOS versus Android debate, it always kind of settles the question yeah. um, of what is most popular. I'm going to predict yet again that iOS comes out top, as I think it will do 
across most of the Western world. I think if you are signing this, and I'm intrigued to know, and I would love to know if they do breakdowns of this by country, but I think in other countries, and it would be interesting to know which countries are the highest, you know, when it comes to Android use. I'd like to know that. I would love to know that because I think there's, yeah. you know, and also just even knowing what the number is, you know, compared to previous years of how many people are using Android, is it on the up in Western countries as well? Because I think it probably is. You know, TalkBack has improved so. a lot. I think there's more people going there. So, or starting out with Android. And of course, you could apply Android now to Blindshell, I suppose, because that is running off Android. Of yeah. Um, Capsis, Smart Vision. Um, I mean, there's others, right? I mean, you've got lots of different products that are running Android. It's important Android. to know this as well. I, I saw a post on social media this week, and someone was asking, hey, I'm looking for an accessible phone. Um, I'm looking at, for an Android phone. Anyone got any recommendations? And he said a price range in rupees. And you could say 60% of the, 70% of the responses he got were, oh, get an iPhone. Yeah, it's not helpful. And you just think you're so stuck in your own little bubble. You're, you're, you know, this is, this is what accessible accessibility means to him where he lives. You know, it, it's sometimes you need, you need more stats on that so people realise, hey, it's not just about what you use. Well, that's right. And and telling people just get an iPhone. I mean, look, I know I make that joke all the time, but I mean it as a joke because of course, yeah. If someone yeah. says to me, look, I've got this budget, or you know, maybe as I had a, a guy I met once who had an iPhone for, or an Android phone, I should say, for a long time, and he kind of visually remembered it. And so he thought, well, if I start there, that's probably a better place to start. Then he said, maybe iPhone is more accessible. Although, I, again, I would probably say, I don't know if it's more accessible. There are mm. elements of it that are, but then equally there's people who will say the same about Android. So yes. I, I don't know about the more accessible part anymore. I think they're on a level in terms of base accessibility, right? Forget the apps, because we can always get into the debate around apps and what's good and what's where. But I think if you start with the base, and that's really how you have to have this discussion these days, what is the base level of accessibility on these devices? And me, what would I recommend if it was an Android? I'd say Google Pixel all the way, because I think you're getting the hardware that is created by Google in the way that they've intended to use the software as well. You I do agree. have all that bloat on top. And I know and I know, there's the Motorola's and the others, and I, I can't speak to them personally. But, I mean, I know Motorola was the first one I had, and I thought it was brilliant. So, you know, but that's that was yeah, a long we time we were ago. at a different stage when it comes to accessibility at that point, right? Yeah, we it's, were, yeah. yeah. And you look at, like, Samsung's latest, the S24 there, where they give the seven-year update guarantee. Fantastic. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. But what about the lower end of the range? What about the A-series, Samsung A-series, yeah. Samsung J-series, which loads of people use because of the price point of them? You know, where's the guarantee there? It's very good guarantee in the, the, the Premier high points, but lower points as well, because what are people using? Again, this is where WebAIM comes in so useful. So, yeah, get it filled in. You've got until the 31st of January, as uh, Grace was saying there. Uh, now, one story we covered this week, and uh, I think was a very interesting story, kind of hidden by all the news of Samsung, uh, is the Inside One Braille tablet we were talking about on the show this week. Eric Roche was the guy I spoke to from the company, uh, based in France, to learn all about this new tablet, which runs Windows. We are developing a product. We have uh, we tried to to integrate uh, touch technology, in fact, so that the the Braille keyboard is not a uh, mechanical keyboard anymore. It becomes uh, touch like uh, you're using um, 
every day you're in everyday life you're using an iPhone or an Android phone and everything is touch. So that's uh, that's something we want to do to to introduce uh, also in the uh, note taker world. At the very beginning of the project, uh, when we began to to design this product from scratch, uh, we decided to go with Android. But uh, very rapidly, we decided uh, to to move to to Windows because at that time I think it was uh, Windows 8. Almost everybody is using Windows, and when you start uh, educating. You have now Windows, Windows at school, after Windows at home, and of course, when you start working, it's Windows also. Talk us through the device a little bit and, and explain to us what, what it is we'd be looking at, what we'd be buying, essentially. Okay, you're looking at, uh, let's say, a tablet-sized product. It's almost, uh, dimensions are almost about uh, the same size on an A4 size uh, sheet of paper. It's focal, of course, it's uh, 1.8 millimeter thick, uh, centimeter thick. You have a 32 cells right display at the bottom, and uh, it's all made of uh, CNC aluminum. You have no plastic part. Uh, you have the Wi Fi, Bluetooth, of course, and uh, you also have a big screen of a little bit more than 10 inches wide. And on this big screen, you have the uh, Perkins style keyboard which is indented into the the glass Uh, so you you feel with your fingers when you put your fingers on the screen you feel like uh, fingerprints like grooves and this is where you uh, put your hands and you start typing you have no calibration like uh, on competition products but uh, for the very first time you start using the keyboard when you you start the product you just put your six fingers for about a second on dot the one two three four five six and then uh, the keyboard is active and it stays active as long as you don't close it with a specific gesture because we also have different gestures outside of the screen because our uh, touch matrix is wider than the uh, the screen so we have also introduced uh, specific zones specific areas around the screen specific for the blind so you can uh, double tap um, cross through and so on so to make uh, gestures like the windows gestures but this is our own gestures in the windows environment and what led you to develop this when we started we we saw that many almost all the blind people are using uh, smartphones with touchscreens they are very very used to 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 to, um, to use that uh, the screen the gestures but we saw that the note-takers uh, were only with mechanic keyboards or blind people are using, still using braid displays connected to PCs. And then uh, when you go to school, there is also another problem that the teachers, they don't know braille. That's why we decided also to put a screen. The keyword of the company, the keyword with this product is the inclusion, not integration. That means that sight people can also use this product even if they don't know Braille because as it is a full Windows product, we also have a specific gesture and for the sighted, they just call the um, uh, Windows uh, virtual keyboard and then they can write or via Bluetooth, they can also connect a mechanical keyboard so they can really write something that the sighted will see in black but it will be also automatically displayed instantly on the Braille display. 
And of course, you have the choice between NVIDIA and Joe's. We also have different specific applications. So that means if you have the uh, license, uh, the Joe's license, you can switch on the fly between Joe's and uh, NVIDIA. And like you say as well, you can connect peripherals to this, right? So you could have a Bluetooth or a wired keyboard. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth. So you have uh, two USB-Cs. One of the challenges with these devices is often making sure they're powered enough. This has been another long-standing issue in the community about some of the already existing products that are out there. Uh, so what kind of specifications can you buy f- with this? Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, you need to have enough power. So that wasn't really the case for the first inside one that uh, we put on the markets about almost five years ago. But that one is uh, really powerful. You have, um, as a processor, you have an i7. You have 16 gigs of RAM. Uh, you have also NVMe uh, SSD hard disk. You have the choice between 256, 512, and 1 terabyte uh, for the SSDs. Uh, you have Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. You have uh, two USB-C, you have mini USB, so you can connect this uh, note taker uh, to another PC, so it becomes a bright display only. You have also micro SD card slot. You have USB three port, two microphones, and four speakers of two watch each. So this is completely standalone as almost a desktop device, but also as a laptop device. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's an all-in-one product. And how upgradable is it? Uh, well, if you want to change the memory or if you want to send the processor, it, it's not possible. Unfortunately, we are not uh, we are not Lenovo. We are not a big company like that, so we can't afford to. Uh, buy different uh, motherboard to change and to install this. That's that's not possible. But we think that with an i7 and 16 gigs, you can have the product for four to five years, and you can run different Windows 11 updates without any trouble. And in terms of pricing, what what are we looking to to pay for this? Well, the the, the price uh, the price is different depending on the countries because depending also on the fundings that you get when you want to buy this product. In France, I think this is the, say, the most expensive uh, price, but uh, as a blind person, you can get funds up to 80 or 90% of the price. So that's why here with uh, VAT, we have a 5.5% VAT for for this uh, product. It costs uh, for the end user around 7,000 euros. But if you go to the States, to the United States, it will be much less. It will be around $5,900 US dollars. Do you have any Canadian pricing there? Not yet. We had for the inside one, uh, the first version, but not yet. So we are uh, discussing with different uh, distributors. And also uh, we are uh, discussing with uh, companies in the US that are also exporting to Canada. So an interesting product, Sean. I know you said during the week the price is the is the stickler and it's going to be for a lot of people. But, of you know, if we're talking employment, though, you know, Eric said this himself, you know, there are grants available in different countries that can get you access to this. And let's be honest, a lot of people who might be interested in this will be in employment. Yes, true. So, and education as well, obviously. Well, it's just a really interesting concept. And I'm, I'm more interested to see if this works. Is it as usable as I think it may be with that indents instead of physical buns? It's a really interesting concept. The price is a totally different conversation that we've had so many times before. And education, I think, is more important and actually vital that children learn to use PCs. 
with Braille. I think that's actually, because I, I think God, if I had learned, I mean, I know it maybe would have been different when I was growing up, but I mean, geez, if I had learned, I mean, I plugged my Braille display this week, my Focus 40 into my Mac, and I was kind of, I didn't know what to expect. I, I kind of felt it would be fine. But, you know, it's always that thing. Well, in, well, in the sense of I knew it would work. I love but, this story, by the way. Carry on. Yeah. Well, just I, I was so surprised at how well it worked in that, obviously, you know, with, with Mac, you plug it in, you go into voiceover settings, there's a Braille option in there, and then you can... And it was funny because someone said to me, how did it recognise it right away? You must have paired it before. But then I realised I didn't pair it with Bluetooth. I connected it via USB-C, so it instantly recognised it. And yeah. it knew it was a Focus 40. Uh, it, it did whatever it would do. I guess its drivers are already there, which is one of the joys. Um, I've got to say, in comparison to using something like, you know, JAWS with it, it, it just seems a little bit simpler to operate because the commands, not so much the commands, but the, the layout and the settings and all that stuff, I could I could configure a lot more easily, I felt, because it was just there. I feel with JAWS, just, you've got to, I feel you need a degree to understand how to work this stuff. You know, it just doesn't feel as obvious to me. Certification, almost. Yeah, yes. I, I, I just love this story because <laughs> you, would, you kept telling me, I've, I've used this, I plugged it in, and it, it works really well. Like, it was such, such a shock for you. But I, I'm exactly the same position. I've never used a Braille display with my computer, never. Um, but the fact that you're, you're really getting into it, I think this is, uh, I love this. Well, it's a bit of a turning point for me. And it it's, is, it's, it's yeah, exactly. Like, so, like, I'm going through the, when we're doing the show, and I've got voicemails and emails, and I've got a big list in front of me of, of all of them on screen. And, you know, going through them and trying to listen by voice to them, you'll often hear me stopping and kind of like trying to you know, wait for the gap when you stop talking before I speak to kind of listen quickly to hear, oh, it's a voicemail from Eleanor, right? Okay. That's right. And then, yeah. you know, try and catch the words and then, you know, regurgitate that in some kind of sensible way to you guys. And, you know, when I'm doing TV as well. That's getting harder as well because you're trying to listen while you've got a lot of voices in your ear. And on top of that, of a screen reader trying to explain to you you know, what you're trying to say, and especially if you're trying to follow a script, it can be really difficult. I don't so, know how you do it. It's mental agility, I will say that. I mean, an hour of, oh, of a show can feel you. like, you know, 10 hours of work. Yeah, I can't do it. But I can't keep up. If I can do it in Braille, even better. That would be amazing. I just need to get that speed. It's the speed. That's the key, getting the speed up of reading. Uh, at the It'll moment, come, I'm sure. It will, and I think with time, but, you know, in the meantime, it's just I have the shortest sentences possible. There's like two-word max sentences, you know. <laughs> That's the best I can do. Uh, but anyway, interesting product for sure. Inside One uh, available, uh, uh, not in Canada yet, but that is something that is being uh, promised that it will come in time. So looking forward to hearing more uh, about that and uh, pricing as well in Canada. We'll give you all the details when we get it. Stick around. This is Double Tap. Up next, we are going to be talking gaming uh, a subject which I think is going to come up a lot for us in the next couple of months, a subject we never used to touch on Double Tap. We'll get into that. And driving blind is the topic. That's next. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. Call the Double Tappers now, 1-877-803-4567, or email us, feedback at doubletaponair.com. 
Keep your comments coming. We'll get to them on Monday, of course, as we uh, get into your feedback then. Uh, now let's talk accessible gaming. And Forza Motorsport is the game everyone seems to be excited about because it does allow blind people to drive with no vision at all, uh, with all kinds of uh, fantastic customization to make the experience better. Uh, this is for the Xbox. I caught up with Ross Miner to tell me all about uh, his take on driving blind. What is so great about Forza and, and why are you so excited about it? Oh man, so just just so many reasons. Um, first being that this is a historic game. This is the very first racing game that is completely accessible to uh, blind gamers from the ground up. Um, there may be like racing games in the past that you could kind of play and stuff like that, but like this is straight up like the fully through and through accessible experience. And that's what makes it so exciting for me because um, the, before I was blinded as a kid, I loved playing racing games. And after I went blind, I was like, well, you know, this is video games as a whole were just very difficult to play, but especially racing games. Um, and so when I found out that this game was coming out, I was like, just o over the moon. Um, and I was really curious, you know, how it was going to be done. Um, thankfully, I got to like play test the game like uh, for like a couple hours, I, almost a year ago. So I've I've known about this coming out for a while, and I had to keep my mouth shut. So <laughs> oh, that must have been um, difficult. I, oh, it was very <laughs> difficult. Um, but yeah, like I I firmly believe that the feeling of going fast, especially in a car unrestricted is something that blind people don't often get to experience. You know, you can go in a parking lot and have a sighted person, you know, let you drive a car and tell you where to go, but it's just, it's not the same as just going really fast. So kind of similar to The Last of Us, if anyone's familiar with kind of how groundbreaking those games were for blind accessibility, this is, is, equally, if not more, groundbreaking, in my opinion. <laughs> it's just incredible, isn't it, how far we've come in terms of the game accessibility. What was it like when you, you got your hands on the game? You, you, so you, I'm, is it still a DVD? Do you still get a DVD you put in the system, or is that am I really old when I say that? You just don't oh, load it these no. days? <laughs> I mean, okay, so you're not... You're not old for saying that, but like it is a very contentious topic because oh. you have digital, which is just you know infinitely more convenient to get. Yeah. But then there are many people who still use discs because they like owning the game. You know, if you have digital, th those games could one day no longer be supported on a new console, or they could mm. no longer the servers could no longer be up. However, with a disc, a lot of the times. Or with, with games these days, uh, there are bug fixes, patches, updates that are uh, provided for the game over its life cycle. Well, when you have a disc, you get the base game. So like, let's say there are accessibility bugs with the base game that were later patched. You would have to update the game. And so like if the game, you know, 10 years down the line, the servers are no longer active, you only have the base version of the game. And so it's, it's a very mixed bag. Um, and then, you know, there's organization purposes and all that. But um, generally, yeah, like discs are, are are still a thing for sure. Oh, well, thank you for not making me feel too old uh, because, you know, <laughs> I still remember the days of my Xbox 360 
uh, you know, yep. putting in the disc and all the rest. And I, mean, I remember, and you know, with the PlayStation 4, it was kind of my first taste of those kind of downloadable games. And I kept thinking to myself, what if this hard drive goes wrong? Or what if something goes wrong with this system or it just breaks down? Have I lost yeah. everything, you know? But of course, it's yeah. like anything these days. It's like music, books, movies. It's all digital now. That's, that's where it's all mm-hmm. heading. Uh, so you get your hands on Forza. And you sit down and you play it for the first time with these accessibility features. And we'll get into the specifics on what those are. But just tell me your first thoughts on, on opening up the game and, and being able to navigate the game as well. I bought the game, um, like the premium edition. So I got like five days early access before it came out. Um, and then I streamed it on Twitch. And it's the thing is, is that like it's difficult at first. You or others may know that like with accessible products with assistive technology, there's often a learning curve. And that's really no different with video games, especially like the more complex the mechanics are. And so the first time streaming on Twitch, uh, I always like to say that I was literally driving like a blind person. Um, But then like (laughs) a week or so later, you know, I'm, I'm getting noticeably considerably better and the thing is is that like you know i haven't had a ton of time to play as much as other people but with that aside i would consider my consider myself an average driver because you know there's an entire uh forza discord of blind drivers and they are just out of this world like they are tearing it up on the track like they are regularly frequently competing alongside sighted players online and things like that like they are so good and i'm like i am i am not there but i so that just goes to show um just you know the the variety of skill levels and just kind of what blind people can do when they they harness these accessibility features well it just turns us into everybody else doesn't it it makes us the same as everyone else because you know there are good players of every game there are bad players of every game right it just puts us in that same level yeah, just like the same level of footing, exactly. And so um, I I love the game. Like, I love kind of competing against myself, so to say. And just, I, I've had gaming sessions where, like, you know, these days, I, I'm fairly busy. I only, pl- if I sit down to play video games, I'll be able to maybe play for like an hour or so. Um, but like, I could easily sit there on, on a single track and just drive in circles for like, two or three hours and I've done Mm. it because like, it's just so, I don't know. Like it's, you know, you get the thrill of like competing against yourself, trying to get a faster time, but at the same time, like it's still relaxing in a weird methodical way. Like you, you almost kind of go into a trance and you're like, all right, I know this turn's coming up. I know this turn's coming up. And then like next thing you know, like an hour or two has passed. And so I love it. It sounds amazing, and you know it's totally sensible, but in a way, maybe maybe more meaningful for us as well, because we don't have the chance to get out and drive with a real car. So it is our only chance to do it. Let's be honest; it's the only yeah. way we're going to be able to do this, at least for now, yeah. until you know they invent some other way for us to do it in real life, which I don't think will ever happen. But you know, driverless cars will come along, and we'll get the experience of sitting in the driver's seat. That's about the closest yeah. we'll get. But I, I do think it's interesting that these, these, this game has got so much customization in it. From my understanding, it's got various ways that you can drive. Because, you know, look, let, let's just get to the brass tacks here. There are people listening to this who've never played this game before, um, yeah. who have maybe heard about this, who maybe are, you know, I would say gaming curious, who are kind yeah. of thinking, maybe, maybe it is time for me to get that gaming console, give this a try, try this kind of thing. Or, you know, my, my son or my daughter or a family member has got a console. Mm-hmm. I could maybe try out this game. 
Um, yeah. Talk me through how this works. I mean, so for me, from my point of view, as someone who sits down at this game, who is not particularly adept, I've got a rough idea where the buttons are on the PlayStation controller, rough idea where they are on the Xbox. You know, so mm-hmm. I could, could probably navigate this thing. How am I able to drive blind? How does it actually work? There are a lot of uh, sound cues, I'll say, that that kind of work all in tandem to make this all work. And so I will try to go through all of them off the top of my head um, and try not to. There's a lot. So, I, you know, I won't try to linger on uh, one for too long unless you have like, specific questions about it. But so first, um, there is the car engine sound. And what this does is in the game for sighted players, there is called an optimal racing line. And this is a line on the track that you can follow and it will guide you through the fastest route on the track. You know, if you get if you're like an expert at driving, you may uh, drive outside of those bounds because you, you know a little bit better. But like generally, uh, it, it's what most players follow. And uh, it's not like a line that goes in the center of the track at all times. Like sometimes it'll be really close to the edge. Sometimes it'll cut a corner, like just things like that. Well, I remember um, this in games of the past. Right. So you would have a, like a line that you'd follow and like in, in turns and corners you would be able to use that line to know the best position for the car to be in, the best place to be on the track for that turn. Yeah, exactly. And so what uh, what the first accessibility feature is, is that the car engine sound follows the optimal racing line. And so when you are to the left of the line, your car will be... uh, the, the, the sound of your car engine will pan to the left in the stereo field and okay. vice versa on the right side. And um, and then you basically have to turn in the direction. I mean, it gets a little more complicated here because uh, I think the default is that you turn in the direction where you hear the car. But for me, like that's not how my brain works. And so I invert the sound. So I, I imagine like pulling the car back onto the, onto the yeah. optimal racing line. But yeah. yeah, and so like that's... That's how you know where you're supposed to go. And then there are a bunch of other supplementary audio cues. First being there are uh, cues for the track limit. So like if you're getting close to the left edge of the track, like uh, a beeping sound will begin to play. And then as you get closer to it, it will uh, be faster and faster until it's just a solid beep. And same on the right side. Um, Then you have, let's see, you have sounds for when you are approaching a turn. And this kind of, uh, you know, just allows you to prepare uh, how fast you want to go through the turn, how you want to position yourself for the turn, things like that. And as you're going through the turn, there are three nodes, so to say. So the beginning of the turn, the peak or like the apex of the turn, and then finally the like straightaway or like pulling out of the turn. And so the first two beeps that play are the same pitch to kind of let you know where you are in the turn. And then this, the third beep is a higher pitch, letting you know, like, all right, you are you are out of the turn. Uh, you can kind of floor it again. Um, and so that's really, really helpful. There are There's a sound cue for when you're approaching a turn and you're going too fast. So the game will tell you, like, hey, you need to slow down or, like, you will absolutely spin out right now. Um, and I personally find that one really useful. I think all um, sighted drivers should have that feature. <laughs> yeah, enabled, right. <laughs> For real. <laughs> um, and then let's see. Um, then there are sounds for when you 
for whatever reason may be facing the wrong way on the track you know sometimes you'll spin out and your car will kind of end up in the wrong direction so that's really nice and then there are then those are most of the navigational ones that i can remember um then there are kind of like a few more supplementary ones like uh a sound for when like AI has taken over your, your car to kind of like lead you into uh, the pit or a sound to let you know like what gear you're on if you're driving in manual, things like that. But um, those are the main sound cues. Uh, I, I literally feel like I'm forgetting one, but I don't believe I am. But um, honestly, <laughs> that, that is so interesting. And I think that's the first time I've really had this explained in a way that I fully understand. That makes total sense mm-hmm. to me. So my next question yeah. is, how do you navigate past other cars moving around you in a game? Okay, if you're driving alone, you're doing like a circuit on your own, that's fine. But if you want to be part of a race, how does that work? How do you navigate all that? Because there's so much movement around you. Yeah, so this is honestly a a, a critique, at least I have. Um, I, you know, like... I haven't done a ton of online play. Um, at least not as much as, you know, some other blind drivers. Um, but so when you're offline, you can turn on, I believe it's called uh, ghosting, uh, where basically, uh, you know, all the cars will be on the track, but you could just drive right through them. So I've that's heard about this. Online. Yeah, so the, the cars are actually, yeah, the cars are there, but yeah. you're just, yeah, you, you just have kind of almost to sail through the middle of them or, or through the, the ghosts of the cars. Yeah, exactly. Um, however, this is different on multiplayer because, you know, this is a racing simulator game. Um, so, mm. like, all the physics are there. A lot of the rules are there, things like that. Um, and so, online, you don't have ghosting. And so, what I have heard is that you could get penalized um, for crashing into other cars. And so that, you know, is a little concerning, but at the same time, it's something that even sighted players do. Um, like the, these cars aren't easy to control. It's so like really only the experts are, uh, are, are going to like not touch any cars. Um, and, and there's also a difference in driving style. You know, like offline, if you have ghosting on, you can kind of just try to get your fastest time online you you do have to worry about the other cars so sometimes where you know you could be going faster someone may be cutting you off or things like that and so there there's a, a, another layer of complexity to it um and is this all in audio as well yeah this is all in audio and you can there are a bunch of different uh volume sliders and so you can adjust the sound of your engine you can adjust the sound of other engines and so generally you can hear when you're coming up on a car if it's you know if you're in a big pack of cars again like it's difficult for everybody um so all all in all i think it's uh it's it's a great first effort i haven't really seen many blind people uh griping about it at all so um that's good yeah yeah seriously (laughs) (laughs) seriously so i just like to highlight highlight that in case you know in, in case uh People do pick up the game and go into multiplayer thinking it's going to be the same as offline because it's diff- slightly different. So, I mean, overall, it sounds like you're having a blast with this and you sound like you're having oh, yeah. a lot of fun. I mean, it sounds as well, if I'm honest, and this is just my thoughts on what you're saying, um, not having any experience of playing the game, 
it sounds like quite a bit of sensory overload going on while you're playing it. Is that something that you just have to get used to over time? Is the does the customization help with that? Because it's, I mean, you get so many beeps and boops going on around you mm-hmm. whilst trying to drive this car. Oh yeah, it sounds like a lot. Yeah, there's definitely sensory overload at first, and so you can customize a lot of it. First, being that let's say you don't want beeps for when you're approaching a turn, you can turn that off. You can also, you know, a lot of the beeps are kind of the same pitch. You can raise and lower the pitch of the beeps to kind of help distinguish them a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Another sensory overload aspect is, you know, as you're driving, um, you know, there's there's fully functional text-to-speech in the game. And so as you're driving, you know, it'll read out your lap time. It'll read out your score for a particular segment, all these things. And that can definitely uh, get overwhelming as well. You can also turn off what the TTS reads during the race. And so like you do have these options. And as you start, what I've seen a lot of blind drivers do, including myself, is just turn on all of the assists and almost let the car drive itself so you can hear all of the beeps. And over time, you, you begin to kind of get that muscle memory of what means what, you know? It's like having a screen reader, isn't it? You start with all the hints yeah. and all the all the verbosity you can get and then gradually you just start to tame that beast a little bit. Exactly. Like I remember, uh, I feel, I don't know if I'm the exception to this or if other blind people were like this, but you know, growing up, I had a Nokia that I would, you know, text them, it calls on. And then when Mm. uh, the iPhone came out specifically the three GS, I, uh, my mom got it for me and I was like, I hate this. I do not like it. It's so difficult to use, but you know, here we are. And it's like the iPhone is like seemingly one of the most useful gadgets for blind people in, in the modern age. So yeah, there's, like I said earlier, there's a learning curve to, to any type of assistive technology. It's fair to say that gameplay here is, is, you know, we could use the phrase of mileage may vary, which seems appropriate in a racing game. Um, but it's, it's down to you. It's down to your skill level. Right. And I, I think that, that's quite interesting because it's no longer about the accessibility mm-hmm. to some degree, right? I mean, you, you obviously have the, the challenge of having to deal with all this, these new elements that are coming in and the time it would take to learn and get used to all of that. Okay, that, that kind of puts us a little bit behind, but you can catch up. The mm-hmm. point is the game accessibility by the sounds of it puts us on the same level. So eventually, you know, and maybe not in that much time, you can play alongside other players online and 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 compete in in a game like this. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is is that like I wouldn't even say that these accessibility features put you behind at first because the way I look at it is when I first played Forza, I hadn't played a driving game in what like 17, 18 years. So I had none of that muscle memory. You know, I've I've never driven a car. And on top of that, you're dealing with realistic physics. And so I would say that's what put me behind was the physics and actually understanding how to control the car. And I think that's something even sighted people will deal with if they, they've never played a racing game before. So, yeah, really, like if, if you are put behind by the accessibility features at first, like it's definitely not by much in my opinion. I think just racing games to this caliber already have a high learning curve, even for sighted people. And what kind of reaction do you get? Because when you're online playing these games, you're playing alongside people who don't 
necessarily know that you're blind, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. So what kind of reaction are you hearing from others online? Is it, is it a surprise when they learn that you're doing this? Um, so like if I'm, you know, playing by myself, I, you know, I usually keep voice chat and all that muted, but you know, if I'm like streaming on Twitch, for example, or, you know, uploading videos to my YouTube, really the, so far, the only reaction I've gotten is just, wow, this is incredible. Like, wow, blind people are able to drive a car. You know, there, I always say that there's a vocal minority of gamers who like don't want any sort of accessibility in their video games. They think accessibility ruins video games, just all this. But the the large majority of people uh, love that games are becoming more accessible. I get comments on my YouTube channel uh, almost daily about it, you know? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And I'm so pleased that you're um, being able to do this. It kind of just makes me so excited to actually consider, you know, I like, I must admit, you know, I, I hear about games coming out like Grand Theft Auto 6 and I get all excited about it. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember, well, I'm probably not going to be able to play me, that. And it's me the first too. time yeah. I've not been able to play that game. Yep. And that kind of irks me a little bit, you know, because yeah. you think, oh, really? But that's I, kind of where we're at. I know. Uh, one of my so frustrating. Yeah, one of my dreams is to one day help a developer make uh, an open world game accessible um, because I can. Mm. I believe it can be done. Um, I mean, we we've allowed blind people to drive a car, so you know that's not proof enough. Yeah, and are you playing PlayStation, Xbox? What are you choosing? What's your poison? Oh, I uh, I have them all because you know I I review games. I work with game studios to uh, develop new features and things like that. Um, is there a favorite though? Oh, uh, yes, there is a favorite. I generally prefer Xbox. Generally, and, and for pretty specific reasons, to me, I feel PlayStation uh, by far has the more advanced controller in terms of technology. You know, it has like a touchpad. It has like uh, directional haptics and and you know microphone and speaker built into it. But the Xbox, uh, there are a couple things that just for me put it above. One being, um, I just I like the ergonomics of the controller way more. I just think it's so much more comfortable to hold. But um, and this this part's funny because I never see people mention it, which is why I think it's just a me thing. But you know, sometimes if I'm hanging out with friends, I uh, like to you know plug in the console into the TV, even though technically you know as a blind gamer we don't need it. But on the PlayStation, when you have a you know game going through the TV, it's going through the TV speakers. If you plug in headphones into the controller, the audio from the TV stops and only goes to your headphones versus on the Xbox, it goes to both. And I think that's really important because 99% of the time you're going to need headphones to play games as a blind gamer. But like, I just, you, you cut off other people from listening to it. You know, like my girlfriend, it's kind of the same thing. Like she wants to be able to hear the game as well. And so that's like, a really small but big reason why I prefer Xbox. You really can't go wrong with either of them these days. Both of them have, in my opinion, a fairly equal amount of accessible games. So, yeah, pick your poison. Ross, tell people how they can find you online because you're you're everywhere, right? You're on the internet, you're on social yep. media, you're on YouTube. Yep. I mean, so if you want a master list of all my links, you could go to my website, rossminer.com slash links. But yeah, generally on all platforms, I'm just... Ross Miner, so R O S S M I N O R, um, and and yeah, like my YouTube channel and my Twitch is kind of where I make gaming content, and then yeah, social media is just 
social media uh, where I kind of advocate for accessibility, specifically in video games. But uh, yeah, that's where you can find all my stuff. Ross, thanks so much for coming on to Double Tap. It's been great to spend some time with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Such an interesting game. Thank you to Ross for coming on and telling us all about it. Sean, um, we've got very little time left, but you know, I think this is something you and I need to talk about a lot more. Maybe that's what YouTube's for. Exactly. I think you need to buy me a console so I can look into this a bit deeper, Stephen Scott. Thank What's you. It, to what, get it on your PC, surely, right? It's a PC game. Is that- no, I want, yeah, I don't know. It's not that. I want the video game console accessibility experience. Yeah, talk to Mr. F. Uh, we're out of here. Have a great weekend. <laughs> we'll catch you on Monday. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.